Well, most of you now have heard about an environment here at North Cross uh, that we call Starting Point. Um, Starting Point is this gathering that we do for people who are, are new to North Cross to learn a little bit more about our church and our ministry, and also to meet some new people along the way. Uh, one of my favorite parts of Starting Point is when, about midway through the 10 weeks, we break up into small groups. And one of the things that we get to do in small groups is to have a chance to share something that we call um, a faith story. So basically, it's each person in that small group sharing their personal journey and faith life with God over the span of their life. And as you can imagine, when you have a different group of people coming together with different backgrounds, everyone's faith story is a little bit different. And we ask people to think about what are, what are some of the experience or, or circumstances in your life that have really had an influence on your view of God and on your faith life? Well, a few years ago, there was a, a young woman who was attending Starting Point. Her name um, is Amanda. And Amanda was one of those uh, women or people that would show up at Starting Point. It's at 6.30 in the evening after most people have had a busy day. And so it can be hard to get up for it a little bit. And <clears throat> she would always come super happy. Um, the most optimistic, the most, you know, sort of positive person. Like, she was a joy, Amanda was, to have at starting point. Well, it was the night where we were all supposed to share our faith stories, and I was in her small group, and we went around the room or the circle, each one of us sharing our faith story. And then it came to Amanda and her turn. And you know how sometimes when people are so happy you kind of get that, and especially when they're younger, like, I bet this person, you know, we think sometimes, they don't know what difficulties in life are like. They've never faced any adversity. Like, that's why they're so positive. They haven't had any tough things yet, you know? And so kind of wondering, you know, what Amanda's face story is going to be like. And what happened next, I'll never forget. Because before she said a word, she took off her baseball cap, which she seemed to always wear. When she took off her baseball cap, she showed the entire group that she had no hair. She went on to tell us that she has a very serious type of cancer that included a brain tumor, and that she was going through treatments, and of course, that's why she had no hair, that she couldn't drive, and she had to quit her job, but because of the, the brain tumor, she was susceptible and had had some seizures. And as she continued to share, you can just imagine the entire group just intently listening to every word as she shared her faith story and how God had helped guide her now. Why do I tell you this? Well, before Amanda shared her faith story, we were all impressed with how happy and positive she was. But after her faith story, we were amazed at just how God and her faith in the Lord had gotten her through that she could be <laughs> that optimistic, that positive, that joyful, even after going through, and in fact, still going through something like that. It's amazing 
to think what you learn when you listen to people and when you listen to their stories. And here's what I know. Amanda's not the only one that has a story. We all have a story, don't we? Every single one of us, even if you're as young as a teenager, you can look back on your life and there's these ups and there's these downs and there's these experiences that were very difficult and very trying. There were these storms in life. And that, that doesn't mean that our past experiences have to define us. In fact, if you're feeling like a victim because of what happened in the past, I would tell you that the Bible directs you out of that type of thinking. That in fact, every single one of us can consider ourselves as the Bible does. Even if we've had bad experiences, that we don't have to live with a victim mentality that Paul writes that we are our victors or that we have been given the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's who we are, victors in Christ Jesus. And yet, and yet, the ups and downs that we've gone through, the battles with cancer, the battles in a relationship, the battles with self-esteem, the battles with depression, they all color who we are and how we respond to things and what we say and how we think and what we do, right? Our first fill-in for today. We will better understand people when we listen to their stories. We will better get to know who people are and why they do what they do, or why they say what they say, or why they even vote the way they vote, when, when we listen and we learn their stories. You know, we're in the middle of a series where we're taking a look at God's call on our lives as Christians to go. That God has called those who have been changed by the gospel, changed by Christ, now go and to share that good news with the entire world and what we've been uncovering in this series is something you probably already knew, that it's, it's a little more complicated, in some ways a little more difficult than maybe it used to be in culturally in our country, and that it's good for us to have a plan in, in how to do this. And what I've also been emphasizing is that the Holy Spirit is not confined to a little plan that North Cross puts together into how to share the gospel. That when the disciples uh, shared Jesus on Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, they just preached and Holy Spirit brought 3,000 people to faith in that day, and the Holy Spirit still has that same power that when the gospel is preached, amazing things can be done. And yet, it's good for us to be students of the people around us and the culture that we're in. It, it's, it's appropriate to have a plan. And so our plan that we're launching in this series, but you're going to be hearing at North Cross for years, are three words that begin with L. Love, then listen, and then lead. And last week, we talked all about love, what that looks like, and how when we love other people, that we can actually create opportunities then to share the gospel with them. And oh, by the way, love is not just an optional thing for Christians, that, that when Jesus said, here's how the world will know my people, he said, it's, it's by their love. And in case you forgot, I gave you a little assignment. I showed you this map. Anyone? Learn the name of a neighbor 
that they didn't know before last week? If not, I'd still encourage you to do that. It's hard to love people if we don't even take the time to get to know their names, right? That's the, the first little step to take as we love the people that are either in our physical neighborhood or in our neighborhoods the, in the, and around the people that we hang out with. But today, we're going to move on to the second word, the word listen. And what I want to look at today with you is an example of where this happened in the early Christian church and how, and how it was used, this listening to share and to lead the people in that community to Jesus. So we're going to turn to the um, book of Acts. If you've been reading along with us in our North Cross Bible reading plan, um, you've just read through the, the whole book of Acts. It just ended last, last week, that, that Bible reading plan. Um, but the book of Acts is really the historical account of what happened to Christians and the church after Jesus rose from the dead. Um, it takes place in the first century, the history of the first century church. And uh, one of the primary people or leaders in that early Christian church uh, was a man named Paul. Um, you hear that name a lot around here. Paul was a pastor. He wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament or so. And um, he also happened to be a church planter. So when God, or through Christ, gave the the direction to go, Paul went, and he went far. He was directed to go from Jerusalem out west, and he went to places that are like modern-day Turkey and Greece and Italy. And it was hard work because the cultures that he went to, they had their own personal opinions about God and about religion. And so this was not easy work. So at the time of our text, Paul finds himself in the Greek city of Athens. Pick it up in Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, if you read um, the first part of Acts 17, you'll see that uh, he kind of had to leave a town called Berea early because his life was being threatened. And so his travel companions, uh, Silas and Timothy, uh, were still on their way. And so Paul was waiting for them uh, while he was in Athens. So he had some time to kill. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So as Paul looked around this uh, Greek city of Athens, he noticed just uh, how many idols and temples and statues were in the community. In fact, one ancient writer <clears throat> said this about Athens, said that it's easier to find an idol in Athens than it is a person. That's how many there were. And then we see how Paul felt. It says that when he saw those idols, he was distressed. The Greek word there used is proxuno. And that word is very an interesting uh, word to translate in the English. Um, it has in part the idea of an anger or a frustration. That's how Paul felt. I mean, if you see a community that's... Um, confused religiously, there probably is going to be a little anger in how lost these people are. But it also, proxuno, has the idea of a care or a concern. Uh, distress is not an anger that leads you to just kind of, you know, forget those people, but it's an anger that includes this concern that I, I want to help. And so as, as Paul feels distressed, you know what he's 
thinking about. He's, he's caring for these people. He recognizes that everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. And he wants the Athenians to spend eternity in heaven. So what do you think he does next? Preaches a sermon. Writes a letter. Starts a church. Nope. Verse 17. So he went. And he went to the synagogue and reasoned with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. So he, he went to the, the Jewish hub in Athens and he talked to religious people. But he also went as well in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, when you think of marketplace, you think of maybe like a, a flea market or a farmer's market or something like that. And there certainly was that component to the marketplace or in the Greek, it was the agora. But that's a little bit too small of a thought for the agora. It was not just a place where you bought groceries. Um, the agora was like the town square. It was the place where everyone went it was the, the hub of the culture. And at the Agora, it was the marketplace for food. It was the marketplace for ideas. It was the marketplace for philosophy and art and news and business. It was where the people of the culture hung out. And so Paul recognizes, man, this, this community, this, this people, they're confused he doesn't start by preaching a sermon. He starts by going to the people, not just once, but day by day by day. And do you know what he did while he was there? He had conversations. And he talked. We'll see that. He shared. But he also did a lot of listening. And he got a feel for how the people thought and how individuals thought and why they did what they did. He probably heard some people's stories. You see, Paul looked at Athens. He noticed there's a big difference between what I believe and what they believe. And then he went to listen. Our second fill-in for today. <clears throat> when there are differences... Paul did this. I'd encourage you to do this. It's, even if you're someone that hasn't bought into uh, the Jesus thing yet, this is just good advice. When there are differences, this is great marital advice too. When there are differences, listen more and assume less. When you're not on the same page as someone, when you feel like, I don't understand them. Well, how are you going to understand unless you listen? When there are differences, listen more and assume less. Do you know who did a great job at this? Jesus did. You know, I was thinking in, in prep uh, for the message today about a little bit about like, what would it be like to have spent three years with Jesus like the disciples got to? And I'm going to ask you this question. Um, what about Jesus would have amazed you most if you could have walked with him for three years? And I think 
Right away, you begin to think about the miracles like Jesus healing people, raising people from the dead, feeding you know, thousands of people <clears throat> with just a little bit of food. Like the miracles, that would have been the most amazing thing. And they would have been amazing. But one of the things I think sometimes we forget about and maybe don't think enough about is here you had the sinless son of God who, by the way, had a lot to do in a little bit of time. Like, part of it was little things like saving the world, okay? And yet, when you look through the Gospels, I am put to shame when I look at his example of how often and how easily he had time to listen. And that's not just to important people or rich people, but to the marginalized and the sinners and the tax collectors. Um, you think of uh, Jesus listening to a man named Matthew who was a tax collector and ended up spending an entire day at Matthew's house. And at the end of it, after listening to Matthew's faith story, I'm sure, and about sh after sharing some things with him, he said, hey, Matthew, you want to be one of my 12 guys? Want to be one of my 12 disciples? And, and then there was another tax collector named Zacchaeus. You know him most because, you know, the Bible tells us he wasn't a tall guy, okay? And yet, even Zacchaeus, Jesus spent an entire day with him. At the end of it, after the end of this listening and this sharing, Zacchaeus decides to give back all that he had cheated people out of, plus more. And then there was this uh, Samaritan woman who was drawing water at a well. And uh, Jesus breaks down every cultural and societal barrier by talking during the day with a woman who was a Samaritan who had a promiscuous sexual past. And he talks and he listens. He knows some of her story. She shares some of her story. And after they're done, she is loving Jesus and his love for her. She understands and experiences. There was a, a woman that we don't know her name, but she had had chronic bleeding for years. And when Jesus came to the town she lived in, she was fearful. All she could really do is to stretch out and to touch his robe as he went by because she was so fearful of this, this holy man. But Jesus stops. And by the end of his time with her, she felt so comfortable that the scripture records, she told him everything. Or how about those two disciples on the road to Emmaus? It was the afternoon of Easter, and Jesus uh, kind of starts walking with them, these two guys who had experienced what had happened in Jerusalem over the past few days. And instead of just making assumptions, Jesus instead asks or starts with a question, what are you discussing as you walk along? And he shows, Jesus does, over and over and over again, his desire to listen to people. And oh, by the way, he still does that. He still wants to listen to you. As you pray to him, as you come to him in prayer, he's there, never too busy for you and I. He wants to listen. Now, not only does Jesus exemplify this, but it's interesting. 2,000 years later, um, 
we still understand and know just how powerful listening can be. Uh, in his book, uh, The Seven uh, Habits of Highly Effective People, um, a doctor named Stephen Covey uh, writes this. He writes, if I were to summarize in one sentence the single most important principle I have learned in the field of interpersonal relations, again, this is good evangelism advice, it's good marriage advice. It would be this, seek first to understand, then seek to be understood. See, when we get to know a person's background and their story, we will better be able to understand why they do what they do or why they think the way that they think. And this becomes super important when it comes to sharing the gospel. Let me give you an example. I want you to imagine that there's someone in your life that feels this way, that they want nothing to do with God or the church. How would you share the gospel with this person? Well, I would propose that it depends. It depends why they want nothing to do with God or the church. Because for some people, it might be a case of intellect where they have sort of done an analysis of the facts and looked through what science says, and they're just intellectually not able to get there that there is a God. That, that would be one reason why someone would want nothing to do with God. But it's not the only reason. For some people, maybe it's a matter of will, meaning they just don't care. They, they don't want to think about a God and what that would mean for his direction on their life, they just kind of want to do what they want to do. And that would be an entirely different scenario than the first. And then maybe a third would be, of course, past experience. Maybe someone went through a very difficult season of life where it felt like God wasn't there. Or how could God be love and these things happened to me? Or maybe they were hurt by the church and something happened to them at church or a church in the past. But do you see each of these scenarios it makes a difference in maybe the angle that we use to share the same Jesus and the same gospel. Here is why listening is so, so important. So Paul listened in the Agora day by day and then listen to what he does with that. Verse 19. So then they the Athenian rulers took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. This was the ruling council. Now, I would surmise that most likely the reason why the ruling, count, or the, the ruling people of Athens even invited Paul to come and to share was because he was in the Agora, that he was with the people. The, the listening gave him an opportunity where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Verse 21. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So what Paul discovered as he talked 
and listened to people as he walked around, as he analyzed the culture, again, as he listened to people, is that this was a people who had lots of gods but were unsure about all of it. The reason why he knew they were unsure is because they had this just-in-case altar. Just-in-case one of our gods or all of our gods aren't the right one, we need to make this one that's kind of the catch-all to the god we don't know but might be out there. Through listening and watching, Paul knew this was a people who had a, a lot of questions about their faith. They were very religious, but they were very confused. So it says, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And so this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. This is what I'm going to talk to you about. Next verse, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Not only are you confused about God, but your view of God, as I've come to understand it, is way too small. You think your gods are confined to this building that you build and that he kind of needs you to not only give him a house, but also, in fact, to, this was a true thing, to feed the gods, to give them the things that they need, that the gods are kind of, you know, depending on the people. Next verse talks about that more. And that he's not served the real God by human hands as if he needed anything. You're confused about God. I've also learned you've made your God too small. Next verse. Rather, he, God, himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lives. He's describing the reality of how big God really is. Verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now this is very interesting and kind of cool to see how Paul is doing this and how God is guiding him. Both of these yellow phrases, they're not quotes from scripture. They're quotes from people of the Athenian culture. The first one from an Athenian philosopher. The second one, as it says, from an Athenian poet. You know what he's doing? He knew the culture and the people so well that he's saying, okay, you have this small view of God, but but even your philosophers and your poets say that God is big, that he's the creator. Like what you believe and what I see in how you treat God doesn't mesh with what your philosophers and what your poets say about him. You're treating God way too small. Next verse. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. I don't know how much you know about the, the Greek gods, uh, but they had a whole bunch of them, as we already have talked about. Here are some names of some of them. So Artemis, uh, she was the goddess of prosperity and of wealth. And so if you wanted to um, have more, 
uh, you would go to the temple of Artemis and you'd give an offering and then supposedly you'd be more financially um, well off. Like she was, a, she was a very popular goddess, you can, as you can imagine. Um, Athena was the goddess of wisdom. So if you wanted to be wiser, you'd give an offering to Athena and then you would supposedly get more wisdom from her. Uh, Nike was the goddess of shoes, um, <laughs> the, the goddess of uh, victory, uh, very popular amongst uh, soldiers and athletes and, you know, Michael Jordan, of course. And if you wanted uh, victory, you would give an offering to, to her. Aphrodite, aphrodisiac, a sex and fertility. If you're having a hard time having kids, Aphrodite is your goddess. Uh, I thought it was interesting. They covered everything. Uh, most of you haven't heard of Cloaxina. This is, I did not make this up. She is the goddess of the sewer system. She helps it work, I guess, in which I, at first I thought that was really weird, but then I thought about what it's like to have a backed up sewer, and I'm like, if I was making up goddesses, I'd, I'd have one for the sewer system too, I think. Um, but I want you to notice something. Again, this very small view of God, that in fact, God, the goddesses, the gods are there ultimately just to give me what I want. Or I'll say it this way that the Greeks viewed the gods as merely a means to an end. Their end, what they wanted. And you just got to be nice to the gods, the nice to the goddesses. They're just there to serve you, to get what they want and what they need. The truth is, and Paul points them to this, number three. God is not a merely a means to get what we need. He, on his own, is what we need. Simply having God is enough. I'm not here to twist his arm, to give me what I need. Think of this. He's the God of the universe. He's the creator. I am the creation. What do I have to tell him that he doesn't already know? Even in my prayers, we talk about this. We can be guilty of treating God like someone that we need to tell what we need or someone that like, needs our advice on how to act and, and, and how to react in situations. And of course, God says, pray to me about anything. You can bring those things to him. But at the very same time, we come with the acknowledgement that I'm the creation, he's the creator. I'm gonna share what's on my heart but I believe he knows best because God is that big. God is that powerful and that God is that loving. Last verses. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, talking about the whole aspect of, you know, feeling like the gods need us to build them homes and to give them food. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent so Paul's now leading them to the recognition that they need help. They need ultimately Jesus. For as he said a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. God is big, God is powerful. And oh, by the way, Paul says, and he's coming back. 
And the best thing we can do to be ready is repent and to recognize that we need a savior. And commentators say that most likely uh, Acts 17 doesn't record Paul's entire message that day. That's probably a summary of things because usually speakers would speak over an hour. And so he probably spoke longer on the Jesus part of this. But at the end of the day, what Paul did is he understood culture. He understood and listened to the people. He understood their concerns and then he pointed them to the solution. That solution was Jesus. And he is still the solution. Number four, fill in. We have different stories. Your stories are different than the Athenians. Your story is different than mine. We have different stories, but we still have the same solution. It's Jesus. That we have, because of what he did on the cross, we have a solution for death. It's called the resurrection of the dead. We have a solution for worry. It's called the peace of God. We have a solution for the valleys of life. It's called the, the joy that is ours, knowing that God walks with us. Jesus ultimately is the solution that the Athenians needed. They just didn't know it. And he still is the solution that you and I need as well. So, as we close, two quick applications. This week and today, I want you to think about this. Who do you need to take the time to listen to? Maybe it's one of the people that was on your list from last week. But who is it that you need to better understand? And how can you get into a relationship with that person so that they feel comfortable in talking? So who is it that you need to take time to listen to? And then number two, pray and pursue. Pray that God would open doors for you. And then when he does open a door to listen, don't quickly bypass it. Don't quickly go on to your to-do list, but take time to listen. And God will use that as we have a chance to share, just like Paul did. Next week, we're going to wrap it up with lead. But for now, let's uh, close with a prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the gospel that, again, as we've talked, has first changed us and our lives. And then, Lord, we have the privilege and opportunity to share with others. This is a lot easier to talk about in a sermon. It's harder to put into practice. And yet, if, if we love and when we listen so often, you use those to then help give us opportunities to lead. And I pray that every person in this room and online would wrestle with what we talked about today and to consider what it means for them in their circumstance, in their opportunities that are around them, um, in the neighborhoods and with the people that they live around. We ask for your blessing in your Holy Spirit as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.